If you turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter number one, you go into the Old Testament, open it up in the middle, and then take a right turn, and go past the big names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you'll find Daniel. As I was preparing for uh, our study on Revelation we're going to be doing here in a few weeks, I, you, you just can't go to Revelation without going to Daniel, learning about 70 weeks and, you know, a little bit of prophecy there. But there's something else that's special about Daniel, Daniel not that just he was a prophet, but the reason God was able to use him was because he maintained his testimony and we're going to see that here. There's, there's a little series I'm starting, three messages. But we see how Daniel maintains his testimony no matter what's going on around him. Uh, he's taken captive. And as we look at this world around us, as we see all the news and all the crazy stuff that's going on, and there's a lot of pressure from different directions. I'm, I'm talking about whether you go to your job, whether you go deal with family, whether you go and deal with uh, work, there's a lot of pressure from this world to pull you away from your Christian walk, to pull you away from your testimony. I want to read here in Daniel chapter 1 a few verses. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure of his God, treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king had appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto, them, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. And verse number eight is our key verse. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Just to give a little historical context here, when we look in the book of Daniel, we're looking back time uh, God gave the Israelites time after time to straighten up. Is the kings of Israel and Judah, 
uh, the kings of Israel would stay away from God, but the kings of Jerusalem would draw close to God, then they would draw away from God. You had different kings depending on the king, and God put up with them. God sent them prophets to tell them that they needed to straighten up. And you know, in our own lives, there have been people that told us we need to straighten up, and sometimes we ignore them. Amen? You say, why are you putting yourself in there, Keith? I don't know. I'm not perfect. But uh, God will send a warning time after time. But after a while, God's done with the warning. You know, Noah in the Old Testament, before the flood, they said he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached for 120 years, yet only eight were saved. Only eight got on the ark. God preached to those, God used Noah to preach to those people, and time after time they ignored him and said every thought of man was evil continually before God sent the flood. They didn't repent. And Israel had been given time and time again to turn back to God, and there were some revivals that took place, but there finally came a time where God said enough. He had warned them. He said, if you you keep my commandments, if you follow me, if you keep your eyes turned toward me, then I'll bless the land and I'll grow the crops and I'll take care of you. And we see it in the book of Judges and we see it when Saul is king. We see it when David is king. We see it going on and on. You know, David had numbered Israel and they got punished. But we see God's chastening all throughout the Old Testament. And the time that we get to now, that chastening is done. God allowed Babylon to come in. He allowed King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. Babylon's mammoth war machine and mighty army left Judah's king Jehoiakim with no choice but to surrender or else face annihilation. Jehoiakim surrendered and Judah became a vassal state to Babylon. And because of his surrender, Nebuchadnezzar allowed Jehoiakim to remain in power as a puppet king. And it was in this conquest of Judah that Nebuchadnezzar deported 10,000 leaders back to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends were among these exiles, but they were to be two more invasions of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar. There was going to be three altogether. And after Nebuchadnezzar withdrew his army, Jehoiakim willingly paid the annual tribute, but then he foolishly rebelled and refused to pay. Before Nebuchadnezzar could retaliate, Jehoiakim died and his son Jehoiakim took the throne of Judah. And soon thereafter, Jehoiakim faced a terrifying threat of Babylon's advancing army. Being helpless against such a massive force, Jehoiakim and his mother, servants, nobles, and royal officials went out to surrender personally to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this second invasion and deportation took place in 597 B.C. I'm just giving you some context here. The third and final siege took place in 586 B.C., the time Nebuchadnezzar utterly destroyed Jerusalem and sent the rest of Judah's citizens into captivity. Only a few Jews remained behind, and they included those left to care for the land and those who had joined the guerrilla bands to fight the Babylonians. So into this scenario, we have Daniel, who's a young man from the royal court, along with his friends, and they're taken to Babylon. And the king of Babylon says, I want to I take the choices of the young men, these royal young men, and I'm going to take them and I'm going to feed them meat from the king's table. Well, that wouldn't be a bad deal for us, right? I'm sure the king has some good meat, some steak, potatoes, amen. But eating from the king's table wasn't such a good thing for Daniel. For a Jew that wanted to keep the Old Testament law, 
for a Jew, for God had laid it down back in Leviticus and back in Deuteronomy. God had laid it down. He said, you should not eat of any animal that, that cleaves the foot, hoof. They couldn't have a cloven hoof. Well, that, that rules out the pig. Pigs were not to be eaten. Or they chew at the cud. They might have the cloven hoof and they might chew the cud. But, and, and it's pretty specific about this, if the animal chewed the cud and didn't have a cloven foot, you couldn't eat the one that chewed the cud. Meaning spitting it back up and eating it again. They couldn't have rabbits. They couldn't have pigs. They couldn't have certain kinds of meat. And Daniel's in a situation where he's having this food shoved at him that is against God's law. And Daniel wants to keep God's law. <coughs> Daniel wants to stay in God's grace. And he's surrounded by a royal court. He has no control over his circumstances. He's in a, he's in a position to where he has to do what he's told. And he reaches a point and said, Daniel purposed in his heart. The point being, we are surrounded in this world by things that pull us away from God every day, every minute, every hour. Just getting up in the morning and having to get to work on time is, is pre- I know you guys that are retired, you don't have that problem. We're, you're not included right now. But that pressure to get to work in the morning, and, and you open up your Bible and it's like, man, I got to get to work. Or you open up your Bible and you're thinking about that list of things you got to do. But that time spent in God's word is more important than what you have to do that day. Because if you begin to lose it, and I've, I've got some friends that talked to, started reading the Bible and it's like, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss. She was afraid that if she stopped reading, then she would begin to drift away from God. I can tell you, she's right. Daniel purposed in his heart, verse number eight, said Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. But before we get to that, the pressure that we have in this world to conform, it says, verse number three, and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. And then he lays out specifications. And I want to look at this devotionally. I want you to look at your own life in this. Look at us in this a little bit. Because it says, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge. You know what man looks on when he looks for somebody's qualifications? He looks on the outside. You know, you see somebody that doesn't dress up for a job interview. Well, they don't know me. And it's like, well, they'll never get a chance to. Because man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. Amen. That's a good thing for a lot of us that God knows our heart. Say, you don't know me. Well, God knows us. And he looks on the heart. But But the king, he wanted those that were good in appearance. They were healthy. They had to be healthy. They had to be strong and healthy without any defect whatsoever. They had, to be, they had to be beautiful. They had to be handsome. You know, this world puts a lot of value on beauty. This world puts a lot of value on how somebody looks. And they had to be intelligent. And we put a lot of value on intelligence. 
They had to be intelligent and quick to learn, demonstrating the ability to learn every subject and develop the poise that would be needed to serve as leaders in government service. Because he wanted to raise up, number one, he was ending the royal bloodline from the Jews by putting them in his service and teaching them his ways and teaching them his language and giving them the names that were picked for them. This world wants your conformity. This world wants you to to look at their way of doing things. This world wants you to admire certain people and to strive to be just like them. This world also wants to control your consumption. They were appointed a certain food, but Daniel wanted to follow God's law. Wants to control your conversation, look at it. Children, verse number four, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability to stand in them, stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. He was going to take them away from their language. Conversation, the language that they spoke. There's a lot of pressure in this world to speak like the world speaks. Your conversation and your calling. He changed their names. Now here's something the world do. He took he took their religion. He took all the 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 things of worship, put them into his house of God. He put uh, put them toward his God. The things that were set aside for God, he put them into his God's house, and he gave them names. So Daniel unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave them names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. Well, Daniel means God is my judge. So he changes it to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects life. So he was changing them from the name of God to the names applied to their gods. For Hananiah means Yahweh, or the Lord is gracious, to Shadrach. Command of Aku, or I am fearful of a God. And Mishael, who is what God is, to Meshach, who is what Aku is, converted that Babylonian. These are just facts, but they apply. When you look at the Bible spiritually and you see the names and you just see them reapplied, how does that work for us? If you're going to walk with the Lord, you're going to have to make a determination. It's not going to come by accident. If you've been trying to live your life on your own and you've been trying to say, I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do better. You stumbled. You've fallen down. You've gotten caught up in the world. You know, the world is like your friends that come by and they say, hey, come on with us. Come on with us. You know, you get caught up. You get surrounded by people and you get caught up in those circumstances. Here, Daniel In spite of being surrounded by all this royalty, in spite of being surrounded by all of these all these pressures to conform to the Babylonian Empire, he said, no, I'm going to follow the heritage, my ancestors. He said, I'm going to follow the God of creation and I'm going to keep the law that he laid out. How hard was that determination to make when everything was against him? You'll see later that he talked to the prince of the eunuchs and he said, I just want to eat the pulse. I just want to eat the vegetables. I just want to eat the thing. It just, just keep the meat away from me and just let me eat this. I don't want to have the, the king's wine. But we just want to eat these things. And the prince said, I can't do that. The king 
laid this out. The king said, this is what you're to eat. And he didn't give up. Daniel didn't give up. He went over and he talked to the guard. And the guard said, I don't know. Daniel said, I tell you what, give us 10 days on this. And if we look like we're worse, he said, if you come out looking worse, I'm going to be in trouble. The prince of the eunuchs, he said, if you come out looking worse, I could lose my head. The king will kill me. He said, I'll just prove it for 10 days. Prove us for 10 days. And if we look better, then let us stay on that diet. You know, he was putting his faith in God right then. He was saying, Lord, I know. I'm trusting the diet that you gave us. And I'm just trusting you for this. He was doing all that he could to follow. I talked about our friend in Georgia. He got out of prison. And he, he got around the friends. You know, you get, it, get around those friends and get pulled back. That pressure to conform, that's what I'm talking about this morning. I think I went a little too sophisticated down on paper. Let's get to the heart of the matter here. There was too much pressure to conform. And then he got in trouble again. Let me tell you the rest of that story because it's an answered prayer that this church was praying for about him getting a place. And I know just about everybody here knows about it. We were praying because there was one way he could avoid six years. There was one way, and that was by going to a Christian rehab center. And we were praying for him. We talked to them, and it was going to cost so much, and we didn't have it to give. We wanted to help. We had to take a loan, and we couldn't. We got to fix cars. You know, you still got a car payment even though your car is paid for, especially when it's a 99. But we were praying, and we had the church praying. And Didi called out there and talked to a man out there that ran one of the places. They don't take any money from the government. And the, the man asked for his name. He asked for his information. He didn't tell us anything. But when he went to the courthouse... And he was standing there, and I love this scene. I love this scene because even though this happened in real life, it's such a picture of salvation. He's standing there before the judge, and he's facing six years in prison. Six years is a long time. You know, I was in the Navy for six years. That was a formative time in my life. <laughs> Charlie spent a few years, and that was, that was quite a time for you, wasn't it? back in Vietnam. But he was facing six years in prison and he didn't have the money to go to this other place. But as he stood up there, he had a boss who said, I'll throw in 500. And he was able to come up with 500 on his own, but that's all he had. And then a man at the back said, Judge, can I talk to you? And he took him into the back and he come out and the judge said, all right, you've been remanded to this home for one year. You're on probation. If you leave that home, if you get out of it, you're going to go back to prison. That man at the back, you know, that's what Jesus did for us. We're standing there at the throne of God and we have all of our sin, all the weight of the world on us. We're standing there before the throne of God and he looks down at us and he says, have you broken my law? Have you broken my commandments? We said, well, Lord, we've been pretty good. I mean, I think the good will outweigh the bad. God looks at it. 
he opens up the book. Because it talks about in Revelation, there's going to be a book there, the book of life. I think he opens up the book. And just to simplify it, you ever tell a lie? Well, not a big one, sir. I hadn't told a big one. I mean, you know, everybody lies. You're a liar. I guess I am, sir. You ever killed anybody? Oh, no, 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 no. He looks down. You know, my son said when he was on earth, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause commits murder in his heart. Your mind goes back to that time. I guess I'm guilty. He said, you're a murderer. You ever committed adultery? No, no, never cheated. Not one time. Well, my son said when he was on earth, over in Matthew 5, he said, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. Yes, sir, I did that. Well, you're guilty of that. You only had to break one commandment. We've only made it through three. How do you think this is going to go for you, son? Standing before God. Only it's not going to be that comfortable because it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that day at the throne, those sins will testify against you as you're down there on your knees in front of God. And he looks in the word. Why should I let you into heaven? All my life I've been told you're forgiving God. All my life I've been told that that you, you have love. You're a God of love. Yes, I am. But you know, I'm also a God of the word. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you hadn't made it to that part. You're still at the wages of sin is death. There on his knees before the throne. That realization comes. You ever thought you had something all worked out? You ever thought you had it all figured out, the story that you were going to tell your parents, and man, it sounded good in your head, and you get up there in front of them, and you, say, you start to tell your story, or you tell it to a cop, somebody, I don't know, but you say, you know, this happened, and then this happened, and then, and then when you look at the law, the cold, hard law, just wipes the whole thing off the table. Just wipes it off the table. Stands before God guilty. Why should I let you into heaven? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty. That's what I like so much about what I heard from our friend in Georgia. That man at the back stood up. He said, I'll pay the price so that you don't have to spend six years in prison. I'll pay the price. And it's such a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He stood up and he said, I'll pay the penalty. God said, who will go? Jesus said, I'll go. 
I'll pay the penalty because only the perfect blood of the Son of God could pay the penalty for sins. All through that Old Testament, and that's what Daniel was under, sacrifices and offerings were made for sin year after year after year. But it came down to that one sacrifice. It was Jesus Christ who laid down his life once and for all sin. But he didn't stay dead. Because a God that stays dead, it ain't good. These gods where all this stuff went into the house of their gods, they weren't gods that could save. They weren't gods that could, that could do anything for you. Didn't matter how your names changed to it. Couldn't do anything for you. But Jesus was able to pay that penalty. And so we look at Daniel and he says, that's the God I serve. That's the God I want to serve, and he wants to be faithful, and he doesn't want to conform to this world. You know, the Bible tells us, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not to conform to this world. There's a, I don't know if y'all have heard of this restaurant. There's a restaurant, it's called Chick-fil-A. I'm going to pull y'all back for a minute. There's a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. I'm going to read this to you. One of the most striking features, the owner, the founder, was Truett Cathy. I read both of his books. They're little, but they're good. He said, one of the most striking features of Truett's Christian management approach is his refusal to do business on Sundays. In 1982, a major mall developer attempted to get Truett to change the policy by offering to donate $5,000 to a church of Kathy's choice for each Chick-fil-A mall restaurant that was open for business on Sunday. Truett's response, presented in his 1989 autobiography, reveals the reasons why the stores are closed on Sundays. In rejecting the developer's offer, Truett said, in part, thank you for permitting us to close on Sundays. We're doing business on your premises and you did not have to make an exception. Because of this, we'll pledge to you exceptional performance during the six days we are open. Why do we close on Sunday? Well, it all started back in 1946 when I opened my first restaurant, a 24-hour coffee shop called The Dwarf House. After the first week, I determined that if it took seven days a week to make a living, I should be in some other business. Two, it was my conscience that I had to live with. I just never could come to the idea of dealing with money on the Lord's day. I became a Christian at age 12. That's not to say that everything I've done since that time is becoming to a Christian, but I believe the Lord has blessed us because we recognize him on, his spe- on this special day we call Sunday. He said, I don't condemn a person for opening on Sunday. It's just a principle I stand very firmly on for my business. Sam Cathy took a stand. Even today, I don't know how many times we've left church. Where do you want to eat? Let's go Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. He said, we find closing on Sunday attracts those people who give attention to spiritual growth and are family-oriented. The fact that we have Sunday closing helps attract quality housewives and young people as employees. He said, you are just the kind of person we would like to honor with any reasonable request, but please understand, we cannot compromise on certain principles. 
that pressure to compromise. Is there something in your life that you've compromised on when it comes to your walk with Christ? I want to ask you, do you have a walk with Christ? If you don't, you can before you leave here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're afraid that you're going to be there on that day of judgment in the presence of God, standing up there and that book is open and guilty. It said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Won't you stand?